Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is episode number 046, Jason Fry, the Guild Guy. Oh, and this is the knife perspective, if I didn't mention that. <laughs> Hi, Dan. How are you doing today? Good, Kyle. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Uh, I'll get into it with my shout outs, but uh, been got another stuffy nose, so uh, there's a... Uh, a food that helped out quite a bit with making me sound somewhat normal for this, this podcast, but uh, looking forward to Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, hopefully the rest of the garage gets spray foamed. Company number two is up on the, uh, <laughs> up on deck. Uh, hopefully they show up. I got a lot more faith that they're actually going to show up because they're a lot more commutative and they said they have a lot, a lot bigger crew and stuff. So I don't think it's I'm going, it's going to be like nine o'clock and I text them and say, hey, where are you? And they say, yeah, we won't be there for a month. Yeah. So just don't, never let your subs get ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. So how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing really good, man. Um, wrestling season is in full swing. I'm making a few knives. Um, just had a great Christmas. Uh, it was nice to have everybody under the same roof again. Yeah, no, I really did enjoy having two teenagers at the house. Do you get anything good for Christmas? Um, I did. Uh, I got a lightsaber. A lightsaber? <laughs> I did. What color? Um, of course I had red. Red? Yeah. Nice. And Alex, uh, got, Alex got blue and Jack got purple and Beth suddenly realized why she doesn't give kids swords. <laughs> <laughs> so a little interesting thing with the purple lightsaber. Yeah. Did you know... Uh, like a whole bunch of the hardcore uh, Star Wars guys aren't happy about that, but yep. uh, apparently there's not supposed to be any any purple crystal, and apparently yep. it like says that in the books and stuff or something. I don't follow yep. it that closely, but but Samuel uh, L. Jackson said, "I want a purple lightsaber. Or I'm not doing it." That was part of his contract, and <laughs> on the lightsaber it says B A M F. So that those were two his two non negotiable things he wanted a purple lightsaber and it had to say bmaf on it and he i guess three he had to he got to keep the lightsaber the prop lightsaber you know i have even more respect for mr samuel l jackson right now (laughs) yeah so anything anything else cool um yeah but nothing i can talk to talk about on air all right one of the one of the things that i got that was uh kind of cool uh this book uh got uh Kevin Kent's uh, book, The Knife Nerd Guide to Japanese Knives. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind. Of, it was a lot different book than I was kind of hoping it would be. I was hoping it would talk a lot more about what the different styles and stuff uh, were used for, but that was like the back, like three quarter or back, like quarter of it. it. But the the whole front of the book is different knife makers in Japan and uh, a lot of really cool pictures and stuff of their shop and stuff with interviews with them. That's cool. So it's still a really cool book, just not exactly what I was 
uh, thinking it would be. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Got that uh, book. I also got some electrical stuff uh, for running more electrical stuff in our house. So my <laughs> wife is is drastically wanting me to get that small deep freezer that we got for free hooked up. So <laughs> that, that feels a little bit like giving your wife a a, a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Like, yeah. So, hey, honey. Merry Christmas. Here's some tools to go to work. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get, we'll get some, some conduit ran over there and get another circuit for, I don't want to have, it's already got the, a bunch of stuff on that circuit that's over there. So need to run another one over there to it. Hey, you know what? If you take a little piece, if you run a set screw next to the breaker and you wrap a piece of wire around it, and then you go over to the breaker and wrap it around the breaker, it'll quit tripping. <laughs> yeah. Or if you just put a butt or put a bar across there. Yeah, that works too. Uh, there's a guy on Insta or on TikTok called inspector AJ and he's a home inspector and he just shows like he gets tagged in a bunch of videos, but he also shows like new construction and different things that he's uh, inspecting. It's like brand new construction with foundation cracks and doors that don't close and all sorts of stuff. It's like, He's like, this is why you need a home inspection, even on a brand new house. <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to do structural repair and um, we were working on a house that was going to get flipped and it was so old that it had a fuse panel and a, instead of a circuit uh, or a traditional breaker box Yep. and the fuses wouldn't go, wouldn't seat all the way. And I finally shined a flashlight in there and somebody had stuck pennies in all the holes. <laughs> so Great. It was a fuseless fuse panel. <laughs> Were they at least the real? Were they at least the all copper ones? I, I have no idea. I, uh, <laughs> I saw that and called the uh, the superintendent and told him that when he had his electrical issues figured out, he could give me a call back. That was not <laughs> working on that job site. Gotcha. Because cool. Because electricity is voodoo and magic, and it'll kill you. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to get too tingly. <laughs> Well, I did learn to always check with the back of your hand and not your pink, your fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good one. We got our sponsors, uh, for our, one of our great sponsors, uh, that starts us off is Broadbeck Ironworks. Uh, they make great two by 72 grinders for knife makers. Uh, they tilt to the side. They also all come apart. They do a build your own type kit. So they, they ship it to you in a flat rate box. Uh, all shipping is included on their pricing. So you don't have, when you click, click through to the checkout, then, uh, you see a huge, uh, shipping charge there. And if you use KP on the, for the discount code, you can get the free Mareco platen, uh, deep platen option. I've been told that for, uh, hidden tang makers and stuff that makes all the world of difference with being able to do a bunch of contouring and stuff with the belt. Hmm. So great guys over there vince ryan and ben all do great job customer service and talking with people and are great great help with all sorts of people in the industry too and if you have a 2 by 72 you're going to need belts and uh, phoenix abrasives is a great belt supplier uh, i've been using them for years dan uses them too yeah matter of fact it's time for me to re-up yeah i'm a, after i finish this uh these six knife six uh pocket bushcrafters and pairing knives and stuff I'm going to be uh, busting out a bunch of pieces of magna cut steel. So Ooh, you're going to need purple belts. I've got the purple belts. Got, I got uh, I've been using the purple belts and the incinerators. Yeah. Yeah. What have you been thinking of the incinerator belts? I'm impressed. Cause you know, I've been, I've been diehard drinking 
double doses of Kool-Aid on the Norton Blaze for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, I've had a lot of tracking issues with my with the Blaze belts. Pretty, and I heard from a couple of people. And the pur- purple belts have been cutting pretty aggressively. I like them. Uh, I've only used the incinerators and some of the lower grits, but I've I've been impressed. I think they compare as far as cut to the Norton Blaze, and the joints are a lot cleaner, at least what I've had recently. They track really well. Yeah, so. right now I think the incinerator only comes in 36 grit. So, but yeah, I think they're planning on trying it in some other some grits and stuff. I've used those and the purple ones for profiling, and then I have to go back and look. Whichever the red ones are from uh, from Phoenix, I've been profiling with those, and they work pretty well. Yeah, I think they call it like Ferrari red or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much do most all my grinding post-heat treat. So when my 36 purple grit ceramic belts are worn out for grinding bevels, uh, they work great for uh, before heat treat profiling. And I recently just shipped uh, a big box of worn out belts. Uh, I had, I couldn't bring myself to throw them away. And then I was talking to uh, a guy on Instagram and he was like, yeah, I wish I could have some money to buy some ceramic belts. And I'm like, well, I still have some that have got some life in it. Since you do like high carbon steel, it's probably going to be great for you. Uh, they're worn out for doing stainless stuff, but I know shoving a, shoving a bar in there should work great for doing high carbon and he was more than ecstatic to get about i sent him about 50 belts so i've got a a couple of the uh the smiths around greenville come raid my shop every couple of months because what i thought were worn out belts they're like oh no no this will cut 10 series for days Mm -hmm. um yep yeah, I, personally, uh, I like the 984. No, I'm sorry, Jason. You haven't you haven't been introduced yet. You can't speak. <laughs> ah, that, God, that, man. <laughs> you didn't mention the 984s though. That's the ones that I use for the hard. Uh, but hey, save it for later in the show. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll hold off. Uh, but yeah, if you for uh, Phoenix abrasives, if you use KP10, uh, you'll get 10 percent off your whole order, uh, and that's everything on their website: uh, respirator filters, Rhino Wet nine by eleven sandpaper belts. Uh, all sorts of stuff. So, oh, and uh, if you're going to take on the Magna Cut, you probably ought to learn to uh, to grind preheat treat. Um, it's and, and you may want to look into some of the the Duffy's uh, anti oxidation uh, um, enamel. You didn't tell me about it early enough, Dan. We told I told you about this last podcast. Man, I did a whole shout out. Like I did a whole yeah. praise be to Duffy. Like yeah. five episodes ago. Three three weeks after I bought a whole brand new roll of fifty feet of the three sixteen aluminum or stainless foil. All right, well, sell that to some schmuck that hasn't heard about Duffy's yet, and go get you some coating. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I've or uh, you're the one that's told me that it's it grinds super hard, but I've heard from a few other people that it grinds similar to the CPM one fifty four. So, well, um, I'll, I'll give a I'll give some feedback. Annealed, it grinds like butter. I mean, it grinds like AEBL annealed. Um, maybe because I was pushing the limits on hardness, but once I heat treated it, it was a mother. I mean, I was using 36 grit belts to set the bevel on a 116th inch blade. Yeah. And I wasn't being gentle. Like I it mean, is, yeah, you, it that's, is a. That's, how, that's what you got to do on those particle steels. Use the 36 gritters up. Not on 154, not even on S35. Yeah. Grind it up. <laughs> uh, All right. 
So, look, you know, maybe there's maybe you got something to teach me about file work, but I think maybe you need to come down to South Carolina for some profiling. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll report back. Uh, Okay, on to Old Town. Yeah. uh, And if you uh, are like, hey, uh, I'm not really a knife maker and I need some cool knives. Old Town is a great uh, supporter of the podcast. They they sell all sorts of production knives and some of the best uh, kitchen knives on the planet. Uh, Dogwood mm-hmm. Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives. And if you use KP10, you can get 10% off your order there on all their stuff. And they also sell some knife supply stuff, too. So uh, they sell lots of blade blanks. They sell lots of pre-cut handle scales and stuff. So you guys can kind of take something that's already been ground and ready and then put a put a handle on there and uh they do do uh knife making classes and stuff too where uh they can help you put the handles and stuff on too if you're local to them in georgia you can do all the fun part yeah yeah designing it and uh yeah i had a i had one of my old coworkers or uh he did a video on youtube uh he's a woodworker it's always such a, an amazing thing for me to watch woodworkers and knife makers uh, tackle knife handles because <laughs> uh, woodworkers like get out their bandsaw and they're like, like making all these little slivers cutting off the, on the bandsaw. And I'm like, I like go up to the sander. I'm like, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> but yeah. One of the, uh, cause I was making furniture for 10 years before I started with Andy. I was, I think I was ripping down some scales and I was at the bandsaw and Andy walked up and said, you can't do that on a bandsaw. And then looked at the 10 set of scales I'd already cut and said, all right, never mind." Yeah. Well, I mean, it's great for cutting up scales and stuff, but he was like, had already glued the the scales and stuff to the knife and was, yeah. He was doing it the hard way. Well, that's the way that apparently that's the way the woodworker guys use it. So uh, they don't like to make dust. They like to make slivers and stuff, I guess, but you know, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying at a moral level, I can't have you disparaging knife or woodworkers. Like, <laughs> I mean, those are, those are some of my people. Yeah. I just think it's interesting the how the two come or we still got to the same place, but how, how differently you attack the problem. Okay. Okay. I can give you that. Um, and then uh cage daily knives and dogwood customizes sponsors for the podcast is normal. Uh, like we said a little bit earlier, Old Town Cutlery is a dealer of Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives, and you can also find Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center and the Cook Station. So check those two out. Um, Knife Center is a great website, uh, one of the biggest on the internet, and the Cook Station is uh, local to you there in Greenville, right? It is, here in God's country. <laughs> and if you're in the Chicagoland area... The, the shooting country, I guess. Um, you can you can find Cage Daily Knives also at Northside Cutlery. Uh, Kevin Silverman uh, has a sharpening business up there, and he's starting to get into uh, selling some knives. So definitely check out him if you're in the Chicagoland area for some fine cutlery, and if you need your knives sharpened, if you can't make it out to my shop. So. You know, you keep saying Chicagoland, and I get that that's a common term, but I read uh, this book series called The Dresden Files. Mm-hmm. It takes place in Chicago, and every time you refer to Chicagoland, it kind of rings back to that book series. Yeah, uh, people don't know where Carol Stream is, people, <laughs> but people know where Chicago is. Yeah. So I'm only like I don't know twenty miles away. So the, oh, that puts you well within the 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 perimeter of Chicago land. Yeah, well, Chicago like reaches like 
really far out. It's like, there's no farmland. There's no nothing. It's just straight city for probably like 75 miles from, from the lake. So that's crazy. The solid, solid buildings and stuff everywhere. Atlanta got that way. And that's why I don't live there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. We got lucky and found a place that has a little over an acre and, uh, have a have a lady at the end of the street that has horses and stuff and she she'll ride her horse down the middle of the road to take him on a walk down the trail and stuff so nice we're kind of in like a a little pocket that's kind of crazy throw up the perimeter fence defend that stuff (laughs) yeah uh so for shout outs uh Part of the reason you're able to hear me so clearly and I'm not so nasally this time is steak or St. Elmo's Steakhouse. They are a steakhouse in Indianapolis that I still have never actually been to the steakhouse, but I've had lots of their products, their their uh, seasonings and their creamy horseradish sauce and their cocktail sauce are amazing if you love horseradish. Uh, it is some of the and who doesn't really? It is some of the hottest horseradish you probably will ever have, and I Ooh. absolutely love it. And it's part of the reason my nose is so clear and I can actually breathe through it. So Courtney made up some some delicious uh, roast or uh, roasted sirloin for Christmas, and uh, had a bunch of that St. Elmo's creamy horseradish sauce that helped uh, clear my nose out for right before the podcast. But yeah, they're. They got great seasonings. Their steak seasoning and stuff is great. Um, and, so, and you just use that for medicinal purposes, right? Yeah, and uh, it's great. Uh, it's delicious. I'd eat it even if my nose wasn't stuffed up, but it helps out. It's amazing how uh, just regular food can sometimes make all the difference, too. Don't have to always go straight to the the medications. Uh, one of the other people we want to give a shout out to is, I'm not sure what your actual name is, but eco mountain crafts uh supporter of the podcast uh he had some really kind words he messaged us the other day uh dan and i talked to him for a little while uh thanks for being such a great support for the podcast man uh definitely check him out give him a follow it's eko underscore mountain underscore crafts uh check him out one of or, uh when we get to our our guest i've been reading some of one of his books and uh, in there was a picture and uh, some unbelievable file work. Uh, I didn't write or page 189 in the 384 tips on how to make knives like the pro book. Uh, Hill Pierce was a knife maker that I hadn't heard of before. And uh, he, made, he had some awesome file work in on that back spine that Sharp by Coop took the picture of. Definitely uh, going to be looking up more of his knives. I. Jason said that he isn't really making knives anymore, but um, definitely want to check out some of the stuff he's done before. And then uh, another guy that's been messaging me, we've been uh, sending lots of funny videos back and forth uh, through TikTok. David Moore, uh, competition knife chopper guy, all around good human being. Also known Uh, as Big Hands Dave. Yeah, Big Hand Dave. Uh, David Moore, 505 on Instagram. Uh, I believe he's david moore on tiktok also little known secret he works with some world championship barbecue teams too yeah yeah he made a, a cutting board for me for blade show this year uh, so. um, excuse me presentation block presentation block <laughs> uh well mine was like huge it's a big big board oh you're just but, bragging now <laughs> yeah uh 
I told him uh, next year I need to get some more of those to sell off the table because uh, more people wanted to buy that thing than uh, seemingly wanted to get my <laughs> knife. So, uh, yeah. And uh, it looks like you got a uh, person on there. I do. I want to, uh, to to give a little shout out, some love to Chef Ralph, who has not only been a great supporter of the show, but has bailed me out on several of my kitchen emergencies. Um, and uh, during some of our uh, kitchen back and forth, um, page uh, 649 in The Joy of Cooking became the, the center focus of both of our meals. What's uh, 649? Am I going to have to look it up? Oh, yeah. See, that's the whole... See, now you got to get a copy of The Joy of Cooking. And Which you version? Look it up. I, got, I got four different versions now. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I'm not going to say Where's Waldo, but it's a little bit of a mystery. It's a hidden gem. All right. So, uh, yeah, when I was uh, back home in Columbus, Dad was uh, said, look through Mom's uh, cookbooks and any of the ones, uh, take whatever one you want. And uh, Grandmother's Joy of Cooking and my mom's Joy of Cooking were both in there, so... I've got two two really old ones, one that's being still held together by some tape. So, hey, you know, and those when uh, when I got to be friends with Ethan, I was finally going to do my fanboy moment and get him to sign my copy. And the copy I have is, I mean, it's beat to hell. It's dog eared. There's coffee stains on it. You know, the spine is cracked. And, and Beth was just aghast that I was going to bring this old beat up, ragged out copy. And he was so pleased. He's like, oh, you actually use this. Oh, I see that this is one of your favorite recipes. Like it, it gave him true joy to see an absolutely abused edition. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got, uh, I, he, I got um, one Joy of Cooking book each for the boys and uh, ask Ethan to sign at the last played show for each one of them. So That's when they get huge. old enough, I'm going to give it to them so they can carry on. Well, and having those older editions are, are uh, some people collect them as though you like people just get into collecting things. But, you know, with each edition, there's changes, there's some information is added, some is lost. So ha I've got a couple of the old books that I still go back to for reference. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll geek, you know me, I'll geek out on cookbooks for a while. <laughs> and food. Yeah. Uh, all right. Birds got to fly, fish got to swim. I'm fat. Dan's rants. What, lay it on us this week, Dan. All right. It's time for me to talk to y'all about some of your crappy websites. Now, really, to be fair, I'm going to be upfront. This came about of, I, I opened it up to, to some feedback from customers a while back, and I really got just railed on my website. And a couple of guys just said, you know, why do knife makers have such crappy websites? And I just had to ask them, why do IT guys make such crappy knives? So, okay, you're not an IT guy. We get it. You work with your hands. But your website has got to be at least functional. Like, If people have to try to understand what you're talking about to navigate your website, you're going to lose customers in the modern age. Um, you can have a website that's just a placeholder that some pictures of your knives and send people to dealers. That's perfectly functional. But if you want to interact with customers, if you want to process orders on your website, first of all, you've got to have some sort of e-commerce. And then it's got to be a, a functional website. If you have got the early 2000s 
um, Blade Forum-esque. Nobody can navigate that. You can be the greatest knife maker in the world, and in the modern day, if you have a crappy, difficult-to-navigate website, no one's going to know about you. I was really fortunate. I had a 16-year-old computer geek at the house that built mine on, I think, WordPress is kind of a template service that you can get. But I promise you, you can find a local junior college IT kid. Chances are you can find a neighborhood kid that can build your website for a couple of hundred bucks and it will make a dramatic difference. You may not immediately see that you're getting more sales, but people will actually hear from you or hear of you. So guys, nowadays a website is like a business card. You know, back in the eighties, if you handed if somebody handed you some one tone tissue paper thin business card, you didn't take them seriously. Nowadays, when someone's heard of you, the first thing they're gonna do an internet search on you. And if you come up with a really basic non-functioning website, that's the same thing as handing somebody a cheap business card. It sucks. I hate IT. I work with my hands, but it is time for you to understand it is just a necessity in today's modern world. Yep. And that concludes Dan's rant. Uh, one of the one of the friends of the podcast, uh, Spencer Kindred of Kindred's Computers. I know he's helped quite a few people with knife websites, too. Uh, he's a great resource. Uh, Todd Hunt and I believe Nicholas Nichols, he did redid their websites for him. Uh, definitely check him out. He's a, he's a great guy. That's, uh, learning more and more about knives and what knife makers need the, to do. Did he do the knife perspective pod or a uh, website as well? No, my, one of my friends, uh, okay. David, we'll just edit that crap out. <laughs> one of my friends, David <laughs> Albel, uh, did it. Uh, he's, a uh, he's helped me out with my website and then, uh, he did the knife perspective website. So he's also a computer guy if you, uh, but I know he gets, he's got a, uh, kid and gets, over or gets uh filled up with stuff so i'm not sure how much he's doing for other people these days so um want to get into introducing our our guest for tonight i am you know um so wrestling practice ran a little late so you know what we're just gonna have to do this live so i mean i i did say jason fry the guild guy which i was kind of proud of coming up off the the fly because uh, he's been really significant in both the National Guild and the Texas Guild. Uh, but for some people that are new to the industry, he is one of the more successful makers that you haven't heard of yet. Um, I don't understand why that is. All of the really experienced knife makers are like, oh, yeah, no problem. Let me give you a couple of examples of his work. But some of the new guys at the guild meeting recently and after you had him booked, I talked to a couple of the new guys and I, I don't know. Do we have a breakdown in, in, in our industry or we've gotten to, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm getting all philosophical here. Jason, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are y'all? Good. Getting better all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. I think for a lot of the younger people, um, a lot of or some people that might not have as strong a like social media stuff. Uh, it seems like a lot of, especially a lot of people uh, are like following a lot of the fortune and fire stuff. I, or 
he was he was on Fortune Fire, but yeah, it's 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 amazing. There was a uh, uh, Matthew Christensen, uh, um, folding knife guy that has like almost I think he's at like thirty thousand followers on Instagram and stuff, and he lives like seventy five miles away from me or something, and I hadn't heard of him until I went to uh to like a meetup thing uh with a bunch of knife people in chicago and just never was in my how i found people so you know what we should do we should start a podcast that is about knife making to help other knife makers find about about different people from different groups of knife making throughout the world what do you think i would sign up to be on that that sounds like a good plan (laughs) it's my idea nobody can steal it (laughs) you know i will call it the knife perspective there you go. <laughs> Great. So one of the one of the pod or one of the questions we always like to start with, Jason, is uh where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh Leander, Texas, which is kind of Austin. Uh, Austin is about like your Chicago. It just goes on forever, but right at the end of that is and is weirder. Is a little town where uh, where I grew up. Okay. And where do you live now? Now I'm up in Lubbock, uh which is kind of in the the South Plains, kind of panhandle. A lot of cotton, a lot of nothing else besides crazy women. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Texas Tech, I mean, you know, they do have a reputation. So is that near San Antonio or is that? No, it's about or... six hours or seven from San Antonio. I'm way up in the north part of, part of the state. Oh, okay. I was thinking the wrong direction there. Kind of between Abilene and Amarillo. That doesn't help you either, probably, if you don't know where Lubbock is. <laughs> All righty. And then, uh, what was what was the first knife you remember remember having? Remember having so my uh, no. Let's let's roll it back. Let's be let's be true. What was the first knife you got? The first knife I ever got yep. was uh, a little bitty case folder, like a, a mini trapper. I mean, it was tiny uh, that I got from my grandmother, probably six or seven uh, for Christmas, and I promptly lost it just like. You know, another uh, five dozen knives I've had since then. Yeah, uh, but that was the first one. That was the first one. I, uh, I'm bad on pocket knives. Yeah, I'll lose a bunch of them. <laughs> Never give a kid a good knife. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Well, or or they can lose it and then have their mom find it for them. What was that like? Twenty years later, Dan. Yeah, that that only happens once <laughs> in in five lifetimes. There you go. Uh... Um, so uh, a little bit of a different question, but uh, Kyle insists that it's a good one. So I'm going to have to ask, uh, what sports did you play? So I was uh, I was kind of scrawny. I mean, I was tall. Uh, I played basketball in junior high because I was tall, but I was not mean enough. It's kind of lousy. At it. So I took up tennis and uh, cross country and made a, made a pretty good run at those. I see what you did there. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of got to go back and forth, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Get some long rallies going. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, did you go to college? Uh, I went to college, and then I went to college, and then I went to college. I went to college. I think, uh, yeah, that's what I do. Now, uh, so I went to uh, Abilene Christian University out of, uh, right out of high school, studied uh, church work, got a ministry degree. Got a psychology master's after that. Kind of the joke is because there's a lot of crazy people at church, and I wanted to be prepared. Uh, but I went out and did church work for five years or six. 
And then I ended up back uh, back at grad school, did another degree uh, in church work. <laughs> and uh, then I went to, started working uh, for the state of Texas, uh, doing psychology work. They sent me back to to school and I got a professional certificate as a, as a behavior analyst. And that's, uh, that's what I do now. Maybe we should start back. What, what does a behavior analyst do? <laughs> right. Um, so uh, he profiles for the FBI. It is not as cool as that. <laughs> uh, they use the same title, but it's different, different industry entirely. Uh, so what I do is I work with, uh, individuals with developmental disabilities that live in, uh, in an institutional setting. So we got, we've got about 200 residents at our place. Um, and I'm, I'm the, the bus driver on the behavior services department. So we try to, uh, to help them not hurt themselves, help them not hurt other people. things like that. It's a pretty noble thing to be able to help other people like that. So. Yeah, you go, you go from ministry to government work, but you don't really give up uh, trying to make people's lives better. Yeah. Well, and how much you can significantly change somebody's life is pretty amazing too. And especially in those, those type of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. areas. So want to tee him up for your, your question there, Dan? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, as everybody that listens to the uh, podcast knows that one of the, the pivotal questions in every interview is how did you meet your wife and where does that rank on the Kyle Dan scale. Now, Kyle met his wife online on a dating service. I picked my wife up at her grandmother's funeral. So Mm. I'm somewhere (laughs) between that. I think Uh, Oh, most people are. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, we actually met at a, uh, a singing school. So, uh, Oh, really? You were at a school. That's that's shocking to me. Church camp. Yeah. It was a church, a singing school church camp. And, um, Right after our high school uh, senior years that summer, uh, we dated long distance for a year, and then we lived in the same town a while and got married after our sophomore year of college. It's twenty three years ago, roughly. Nice. That's still going. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a win for Team Kyle on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to give you that one. <laughs> oh, wholesome and godly. Well, <laughs> pretense of it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's another podcast. We don't get into that here. Yeah, yeah, good, good. <laughs> so when when did you start making knives? Uh, I made my first knife in 2003. Uh, I was skinning too many raccoons, and I needed more sharp things. Okay. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just make one. I can do that. So I, I ground a knife out of a file, ground it hard, uh, kept it cool put a, a handle on it that was too short didn't work right but uh skinned a lot of coons i thought man knife making is pretty cool i think i'll do that some more so i built the shop and started collecting tools and lost my job and moved away uh, <laughs> <laughs> then about 2008 uh, i went to a gun show on memorial day and i saw saw a table of custom knives and that was the first uh first time i'd ever seen a table of custom knives started picking them up and looking at them. I said, what do you get on these? He told me between $150 and $250. I set them down. I said, man, I think I can do that. I didn't say that to him. But that's what I said in my head. I was like, I, I think I can do this. Yeah. And I walked away. Paid 
19 with files and sandpaper before Christmas of that year. And then I got a uh, a first class a Craftsman 2 by 42 and I made Ooh. 150 knives with that. <laughs> hey, that's a step uh, up from the 1 by 36. Yeah, yeah, I, I skipped straight to the 2 inch at least. And uh <laughs> bragger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then I built a in 2011 I built a 2 by 72 two speed pulleys and then I went to variable in 13. I just uh just at Blade Show this year bought my first grind. So, what one'd you get? I ended up getting a Wilmot. Okay. Um Team Wilmot. For no, real, for no <laughs> real good reason. I mean, they're all good machines. So, uh, I, I caught some crap from some of my friends because I'm friends with readers. I'm friends with the outlaw guy. I'm friends with, you know, I talked to Broadbeck a little bit. Uh, Vincent is in one of our groups that I moderate. Everybody's like, why didn't you buy mine? I'm like, well, just didn't. I don't know. <laughs> Can't buy everybody's. <laughs> that but, That is false. But it's a good <laughs> but it's a good machine. <laughs> it, there, there are a lot of them are good machines, but the Wilmot's a good machine. No yeah. regrets. Yeah, you you can buy them all. Yeah, all the way down the workbench. <laughs> My workbench is not that big. I'm working out of a uh, twelve by sixteen shed. <laughs> wow. Uh, so. Yeah, and I got more workbench than I got power. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I did a little electrical in high school, so I can kind of make some juice once in a while do what i want to do nice major malfunctions so what's your favorite knife that you've made uh favorite one i've made i'll answer that two ways favorite one i've made that i that i have that i like that i use um was one of the very first knives ever forged i forged it out of a a piece of a a drag harrow farming implement uh, from my grandpa's farm and i put some uh some floorboard 1955 white oak floorboard out of my out of my house uh, and some wrought iron uh, ended up got in a bind sold that knife even though it was kind of connected uh, the guy that bought it said i could have it back when he died uh, and the last time i saw him he's still alive by the way the last time i saw him he said i don't want to keep track of all this stuff i'm supposed to do when i'm dead so i'm gonna give you your knife back so I, I treasure that one. That's definitely one of my favorites. I use it to skin my deer and stuff. <laughs> that was definitely meant to be yours. Yes. Yeah. That's a very cool story. Gave it back to you too. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It was very cool. Nice touch. Um, now favorite in terms of like the coolest one I've made, you know, that I, that I think is, is my favorite in that regard. I, uh, I really kind of got off into the history stuff. Uh, Jerry Fisk, pushed me down that path once I kind of took off and uh and so I made a knife out of stuff from the Texas Revolution okay so I got some nails from the house where the Mexican army met after San Jacinto so they lost and they had to have a big meeting to figure out what are we going to do now (laughs) you know so uh, they excavated that house uh, and I ended up with a, a handful of nails from there um from there, they went south and uh, got stuck in the mud. Um, there's a, a area called the Sea of Mud, um, and some guys excavated some of that, and I ended up with a couple of harness decorations and a grape shot from the Mexican camp there, post San Jacinto and the Sea of Mud. And uh, so I put all that in some Damascus. I uh, used an 1836 half dollar, 
that being the year of Texas Independence. Um, I got some wood from the tree where Sam Houston and the, the boys slept on the first night of the runaway scrape. So they, uh, the Alamo falls, uh, the messengers get out and they get to Gonzalez and say, the Alamo's gone. We're in trouble now. And everybody packs up, burns town and runs off. You know, they're trying to get away and get back and regroup. Uh, so there's a tree eight miles out of Gonzalez where they camped on the first night there. And I got some wood from that. So I put all that into a Bowie knife. Um, that was a that was a good one. I had yeah, a good there, time with that. There's a lot. There's a lot of soul in that knife. You bet. Yeah. You bet. I'm from Texas. I've had people in Texas since the 1850s. Uh, had a cousin killed in the Goliad massacre. Um, yeah, I'm a Texas guy uh, through and through. <laughs> we had uh, a friend of mine is in Texas and gives me a little shit every now and then, and I good, take yeah. a great deal of pleasure of saying. Um, there, there were three Eastlands at the Alamo. Uh, how many Chad Wiggins were there? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, I say mine was a, a cousin on about two generations down from the split, like on another branch. Uh, and all he did was get killed, really. Uh, it's Not still too remarkable. It does. It does. What knife do you use most? Uh, like uh, around the uh-huh. house, around the shop? Oh, goodness. Uh, I work at basically a mental institution. I don't get to carry a knife. <laughs> Just one of the rules. Yeah, <laughs> um, get crazy about it that seems kind of like stuff. a bad idea. Uh, I've got a couple of knives that I made in the, that we use in the kitchen. Uh, I do a little bit of kitchen stuff here and there. I, uh, I've still got my first and my seventh and my 50th knives, plus the one that, that I told the story about uh, that I use. I mean, that's the ones I use all the time. My 50th knife that that uh, I used to call it the Spicewood Special. I thought Spicewood was an area where I used to hunt. Uh, my great-grandparents uh, farmed and ranched. Um, but that design has evolved into what I call my utility hunter, real original name there. Um, but that's the one that, that, that I use the most and sell the most, honestly, is that utility hunter. No, where does your uh, where's your inspiration come from for uh, for designing? Uh, I like I like a lot of different things. So some of it's some of it's history, right? So you wouldn't be surprised with all the stuff I like to incorporate. That sometimes I want to see what kind of knives they were using back then to make something kind of like that. Um, you know, whether it's the old buoys or just plain frontier stuff. Um, I went through another, but. So I went down an absolute rabbit hole about trade knives for, for a while. Yeah. 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 That's definitely a rabbit hole for sure. Um, I like, uh, I like the ABS style, uh, master Smith stuff. I, I follow Lynn Ray and, uh, Jerry Fisk and John Oregon pretty regular. Talk to those guys some and try to, they're, they're kind of what I want to be when I grow up a little bit, um, uh, in terms of, of knife making art, uh, those would be Bruce Bump uh, needs a shout out to if if you haven't heard of Bruce Bump audience, golly, get on the internet. Uh, he was uh, instrumental in teaching me a lot of things back when uh, blade forums was the thing, right? So <laughs> like before Instagram killed the forums, uh, blade forums was the source of information. And Bruce had some, 
super epic work in progress uh, threads back in oh, 2009, 10, 11 that, that really taught me a lot. I'll have to check those out. I just got, uh, I think it's the son, Brian. Uh, they mm-hmm. make some file guides, file guides. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that are all made out of stainless steel. And yep. I like how it has, a, it like has a, uh, uh, Nobody can, this is a podcast. Yeah. Nobody can see your hands, Kyle. Yeah. So it has a dovetail you, on the carbide mm-hmm. so that it mechanically holds it into yeah, the, they just started that. I've got one of the, the, uh, he made a run of them initially and then he had his uh, son-in-law benton do some and now brian's coming back and doing i've got a benton era one okay. uh, i use all the time it's a good tool yeah i just got it and i'm ex- i wanted to do some uh hidden tang uh, kind of mm-hmm. raw style kitchen knife handles so i think that's yep. going to help a bunch with it's great for it. squaring up those shoulders yep and i like that it's stainless so i don't have to worry about it rusting right Right. Uh, before they before they did the dovetail, if you got them too hot and dipped them, that's what was making the carbides come off because uh, the glue was uh, was not handling that as well. Even though they were using JB, um, but now that they've got the dovetail innovation, shouldn't have to worry about that. Now we're gonna kind of transition some more into the the business side. Um, where did uh, Fortune Fire fall into your uh, when you started to make knives? Uh, let's say I, I did Fortune Fire in 2018. Um, Mother's Day, actually, is when they started shooting at my house. So <laughs> it was right about then in May of 2018. My episode aired in September. Um, so I'd been making knives quite a while by then. I was a voting member of the Guild by then. Uh, I honestly did it to see if I could do it. I mean, that's just like a challenge. I wanted to see if I could pull it off or not. Cause, uh, I was mostly stock removal the first five years just because that's the tools I had. Um, so they, con- I, they contact you or no, they, they put out a casting call and you have to apply. Okay. Um, um, I'm a writer kind of in my day job and in my, my hobbies. So it wasn't too hard to whip up a nice story that, got their attention <laughs> good so uh you want to talk a little bit more about that uh, yeah sure um so it was a good experience really um you know fortune fire will will not make you uh a somebody all of a sudden <laughs> you get you get about 15 minutes out of a 40 minute episode and you're on there you know you get seen one hard one good time and sometimes a rerun um, we were sitting around after the show. Uh, the judges won't come talk to you <laughs> uh, while the, the the show is in process. But once things are decided, they'll, they'll come out and chat. Because they're actually nice fellas. So uh, Will came over and we were talking about about just life in general. And he said, you know, 10 grand's not going to change your life. Because really, it's only like six grand after taxes. And I mean, that's something. But it's not. It's not a. It's not life changing money. Yeah, that was an interesting perspective coming from the guys that you know have talked to every contestant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say that matches my experience. I mean, I, I use it in my marketing some. Um, it, it hasn't hurt. I don't know that it that it's helped uh, in any major way uh, beyond just me marketing with it. Well, if, if you don't have the chops to follow it up. <laughs> You know, all the introduction in the world isn't going to do you any good. Right. So, right. 
yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I pivoted from that to, uh, to trying to do some stuff with social media. I mean, I picked up 500 Instagram followers or something from the show. You know, I try, I've, I've tried to do something with it a little bit. Uh, but like I said, I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's changed my life. Well, one way it has, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, you know, you're going on the show for a little while before it's your turn to go. Right. So you've gone through the process. They said, yeah, we'll take you. We'll call you and let you know when you're coming. Um, <clears throat> and so how I chose to prepare, uh, has made a huge difference. Craft. Um, here's the analogy. So if you, uh, if you lose 50 pounds, uh, to go to the beach, right. So you can look good at the beach and then it rains when you're at the beach. You still lost 50 pounds. Right? Your vacation may suck, but you still lost the weight. And so I thought, well, dang, I'm going to build a power hammer. Uh, if I make the final, I'll have a good tool that'll help me win, hopefully. And if I uh, lose in the first round, I've got a dadgum power hammer. Right? Yeah. Um, so I, I started uh, in my prep time and I built a, an Appalachian style power hammer from scratch. Um, so is that like kinda- a tire hammer or? Kind of, it's a it's a spring helve with a spring pack on top, a yeah. rocker rocker arm. I did use a tire clutch to run it, but anyway, kind of a freestyle design, more like the Appalachian style than the tire hammer style. Um, but anyway, I made the final. Used it the the first the first time I ever ran it hard was on the show. I mean, I had I had proof of concept hammered a thing or two, but then. I, Oh, please, go, Lord, don't fail me now. <laughs> yeah, I had to go play on TV. You know, I didn't get a chance to fix my hammer, right? Um, but, I've, you know, here we are three and a half years later, I'm still using it. It's still a good machine. So it's opened up forging as a, as a as something interesting, not just a chore. Yeah. So, so what for the people that haven't watched the show, you want to talk about what your, your first challenge was? Uh, yeah, our first challenge, our, our whole episode was whiskey barrel themed. Um, and so we had to take the straps off a whiskey barrel. Uh, they intentionally didn't give us enough material. So we had to weld them together to make enough material to make a knife, right? Uh, so straps are one sixteenth roughly. Um, so we had to take the barrel straps, weld a billet together, and make... Uh, make a knife we knew we were going to have to do uh do a chopping task so they they gave us some free reign on on design but i made kind of a kind of a buoy-ish knife i didn't didn't do a guard i call it a buoy a texas buoy because i was playing to the crowd it was just a knife and the original <laughs> buoy didn't have a guard that's true as well it's more like kyphus ham than it was like uh Searles or anything <laughs> uh but anyway um so yeah, we we did that. I made we had one guy that uh his welds didn't stick right and his his uh his knife didn't look right. Now, we all knew his core was good. The welds that didn't stick were on the outside and it would have made zippo difference in the outcome. But but his welds didn't stick right, so he was the first one out. Uh, and then uh the the handle material, they told us we had to use the whiskey barrel wood. Okay, it's kind of remarkable white oak smelled good when you grind it um <laughs> but I've, uh, I've heard people even say when they've stabilized the whiskey barrels that it still smells uh, mm-hmm, real yeah. good they... yep yep you get thirsty <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh anyway so uh 
Yeah, that was that was that. And then we uh, our our tests they they turned the barrel kind of up at an angle and chopped on the top ring, like so a, a steel a steel ring backed by by solid oak, ten licks from Jay. Uh, I still get PTSD a little on yeah. whiskey barrels. I'm like, you know, it was terrible watching them chop that thing. Uh, I was second. The guy in front of me was uh, was a journeyman smith, and I'm I'm not a journeyman smith yet. Uh, and so I was like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. His blade chipped. I'm screwed. Uh, but mine stuck. Mine held. And so uh, Rob's Rob's little chip cost him a little bit. He was out. Uh, so then it came down to me and uh, Spicy Mike, Mike Michael Curley. Uh, we got to make a thing called a Keylong G. It's basically a Chinese pole arm, um, like a halberd kind of a deal. Um, I say a spear with a crescent blade on the side and a... a Mm-hmm. Uh, spear point kind of at the front um, so we uh, came home and did our thing and uh, got our five days and, you know, went back and uh, on the kill test uh, we we had two dummies so he was working back and forth killing two dummies at a time that was the first time they had done that because those jokers are about three grand a piece um, <laughs> wow yeah it's crazy um, you're talking about but, the like yeah, the, gel- the yeah the gel dummies that they use on every single show, you know, or every other show or whatever, they're about three grand a piece. Wow! And ours was the first episode they used two per contestant, which you know because they're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, so I need to start um, making some gel dummies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my uh, one of Doug's one of Doug's strikes on the the dummy, the blade hit on the flat instead of on the the sharp. Uh, and my my piece bent just a little bit. I mean, a little bit, a degree, two degrees. It's there. It's there. You can see it. Uh, it was not catastrophic failure by any means. Um, but that was enough. <laughs> Mike, uh, I'll say it this way because Mike would say the same thing. I mean, mine was better in every single way. It was prettier, it's cleaner, it's tighter, it's smoother. Uh, Mike's was kind of heavy and gross. And his didn't bend, and I lost fair and square. <laughs> right? Um, he would tell you the same. He he uh, <laughs> he can't say it. I don't even know why I came back here. This is dumb. You're gonna, you know. <laughs> uh, but just at looking at him, but mine bent, and so that was that. You know, I lost. I, uh, I was runner up. So yeah, nothing. It is a good experience. You got to play. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> got to plan for a rematch. Uh, I would love to go back uh, <laughs> if they would if they would have me. Uh, Mike has been back, uh, incidentally lost in the first round on his second run. Um, now I, I've uh, I've talked to him a little bit, but I, I, we haven't ever closed the deal. I've changed jobs a little. I was assistant manager at the time, and assistants get a little more flexibility than the real boss. So yeah. I ended up taking off eleven days of work to go do that. Gotcha. And I had vacation time and stuff, but now it would be difficult to be away that long. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, what what advice would you give somebody that was thinking about doing Fortune Fire? Well, if you're thinking about it and you don't know if you want to do it or not, you need to do it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's worth your time. Um, the risks are low, the rewards are potentially high. And it's a good time. I mean, they they pay for your flights and they foot the bill for everything. So even if you lose, it doesn't cost you. 
anything to try. Um, it was a free trip. Yeah, exactly. Took my wife uh, back for the the uh, final. She didn't get to do anything but hang out in the hotel. But since we have four kids, uh, hanging out in a hotel by yourself is pretty awesome. <laughs> she <laughs> the was the best happy. thing that she happened to her in a while. That. Yeah, she was happy. So, um, but they are, you know, if you're not familiar with the show, it's your own fault. They're, they're they've shot their shooting season nine. Uh, they're showing season eight. If you haven't watched a dozen episodes, <laughs> you know, you're not ready. Uh, there are not that many new things. They uh, they have to keep throwing some of the same curveballs. So that would be my advice. Just watch a bunch of episodes if you, if you can. You better be ready on Unknown Steel. You better be ready on Forge Weldon. One or the other of those would be there almost every time. Um, so as you've grown your business, what uh, what have been some of the challenges? Uh, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm kind of a Gen X nerd, to be honest. I mean, I, I went to graduate school a lot. <laughs> that doesn't kind of fit the, the good old boy, you know, knife making her, her, her guy. Right. I mean, I, I, uh, I work at a desk in an office and make knives in the backyard, you know? And so, uh, figuring out how to put those two things together. Uh, in a way that honestly it sells or that draws attention or that's good marketing has been a challenge. And then the other piece would be, you know, my day job is a 40. It's a 40 hour a week plus a little sometimes. I've got a 16 year old and a 17 year old and four year old twins, all boys. Um, my big boys are competitive gymnasts. Um, my, uh, my second kid uh, has made nationals a couple of times. Uh, we're right. down to where is he going to go to college rather than will he get college money? Very uh, cool. It's Congratulations. It's, it's, awesome. it's awesome. It's expensive. It takes all my knife money, which is cool, but uh, glad to have it. But it also means a lot of travel. Uh, so all that to say, you know, my brain says, golly, you could work YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and, <laughs> and TikTok and, and, uh, and you can write, you can write for, two magazines, heck, write for three, write some books, you know. Um, but I don't really have time to pull all that off. <laughs> right? yeah. um, so that that has been my marketing challenge, I think, is that I, I just can't work it uh, as much as I would like to or as much as my brain says I need to. Um, I just passed 2,500 on Instagram, which was awesome. I was excited about that. Nice. But, Congratulations. You know, so I, I, I'm I'm square in the not a nobody category. I'm <laughs> uh, yeah. not quite a somebody, but I'm definitely not a nobody. So that's progress. Yeah, that's step so, one. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, writing and stuff. You've yeah. written for uh, Blade Magazine, I think you said. Uh, yeah, I've had I've had two two full length articles published in Blade, um, and I have I've had two in Knives Illustrated as well. Um, and I've got projects on tap for both of those. I also write a, I write a column on behalf of the Knife Makers Guild that goes in uh, Knife Magazine, big one, big format one. Okay. Uh, so I've been in all three of the major industry publications on the writing side. Uh, that was after a few years of, of sneaking a knife in once in a while. I've had a, had some knives published here and there, but that's still on my on, bucket list. Yes. <laughs> 
you do the whole thing as professional pictures, man. Make a good knife and send it to somebody. Send it to Cooper. Send it to Caleb. And uh, that's that's the ticket in the door. <laughs> or make friends with a guy like me that writes. <laughs> step step one. <laughs> I find that blackmailing the editor is also pretty effective. It could be. Could be. <laughs> uh, and half of the editors of the magazines are named Steve. And so really, it's, it's not that hard. <laughs> Just pick a Steve. It's <laughs> so uh it was right around the blade show west time frame uh uh i'm not exactly sure remember how we got started talking on uh knife perspective but uh you and i started talking through the knife perspective account and then uh, mm-hmm. i told you i was uh doing the knife making thing full time and been doing it for a few years and you sent me one of your books i think this was your first one right the 384 Actually, so that's that's the second one. I, second I wrote one? a book called uh, Next Level Knife Making that came out about three months ahead of, of Knife Making Hacks. Oh, okay. um, So I'll, I'll tell that story. I wanted to have written a book. That's very different than wanting to write a book, right? I wanted to have written it. Um, and so uh, I had this idea, well, I don't have to write it. I'll just edit the thing. So I solicited chapters from all a bunch of people. I got 17 people to write. Uh, I edited it all and wrote five chapters, and that that book became Next Level Knife Making. Um, published that uh, through a, a company called Red Ink Press. It is available on Amazon. That was on my kinda... that was on my Christmas list, by the way, but yeah. didn't, get, didn't get purchased by anybody. Oh, dang, man! <laughs> so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to buy it here soon. <laughs> yep, um, and that's a cool thing, man. To Google yourself and you're on Amazon. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but while I was in the middle of that, I started, uh, I was talking to Shanna Jantz, uh, Kemp, Shanna Kemp uh, from Jantz Supply. She's one of the Jantz sisters, one of the matriarchs kind of of that organization. We're buddies. And she said, you know, somebody ought to write a book like a, like a devotional book for knife makers, like all these little short quips and pretty pictures, like, like, you know, a spiritual book, except make it knife making crap, you know? <laughs> And I said, well, you said somebody ought to do it. Do you care if I write it? She said, no, I just said somebody ought to do it. So I wrote it. <laughs> um, and so I ended up with, I say, 384 was the random number we landed on. Uh, knife making tips and tricks. Got about 100 pictures from uh, from Cooper and uh, Caleb Royer and uh, Corey Martin. Okay. Featured a bunch of my friends, a bunch of people I look up to, you know. Yeah, so you picked a bunch of those? Uh, I picked every one of them. Okay. Every single bit of that is is uh, my choice. Kind of cool. scary. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did put one of mine in there intentionally. The last, the last picture in the book is one of mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but yeah, got got knives all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I was pretty uh, pretty excited to see a bunch of people that I actually knew in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, ho- just Hoffman. Okay. Was one of the the guys that I'm friends with. He's up in uh Wisconsin. We need to mm-hmm. I still need to make it up to his shop sometime, but yeah. Uh see him at Blade Show and then uh there's a knife show, uh the Badger Knife the Badger, Club yeah. show. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I don't I don't personally know every single person whose knife I used. Uh, of course I tried to use a lot of a lot of my friends. I mean all the Pops guys are in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bunch of guild guys, bunch of Texas guys. I <laughs> mean that's the advantage of being the guy picking the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of really good ones. Um, like 
309 right now. Uh, well, I'll read, I'll read the one that, uh, what I'm on right now. There are gun collectors and knife collectors, and there is not much overlap between the two groups. However, in knife making, there are folder collectors and fixed blade collectors, factory collectors and custom collectors. Figure out who your target market is. And uh, there's a really cool uh, picture of uh, Bailey Bradshaw's uh, folding knife there. It looks like there's some some mother of pearl in there and a bunch of really cool engraving and stuff on the, the handle mm-hmm. and stuff there. So. And so that's a good illustration. Um, I tried real hard to put Easter eggs in this book, right? I mean, just little hidden stuff that nobody knows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, except me and a few people. So Bailey Bradshaw's Master Smith. Uh, and he quit making knives and started making guns. Mm-hmm. And that's why I picked this his picture for this one about there being gun guys and knife guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of them in there. Like there's one about uh, uh, about cavemen making knives. Like, oh, Grog, this rock's sharp. Let's cut deep, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I and, remember that one. And uh, the guy I used a picture of is a guy named Mark Knapp. Well, those of y'all that are nerds like me you know that napping is the art of taking flint and making a knife out of it so uh again it's too many layers deep for regular people <laughs> but i enjoyed it uh, you know there's, there's one not in a there lot of regular about, people in this community so you're good also true also true there's one in there about eye protection and and uh you only got one set of eyes and all that but the i use james hughes's uh gambler set i think for that one he's a good friend of mine He's got one eye. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Man, so, I, and so I put that next to an eye protection, you know, so there, there's stuff like that hidden all through um, okay. <laughs> that you'll never know unless you know the people. <laughs> I took a hot flake in the eye and it made me an mm. absolute. Yeah. Died in the wool believer in eye protection. Like I yeah, got really I lucky. It just made a little scar on the cornea, but yeah. That is some next level pain. Yes, it is. I've caught slivers twice and had to have them pulled out. Uh, both of those were quite some time ago. I wear glasses better now. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I finally realized that I couldn't trust myself to wear glasses and went to a full face respirator. Yeah, yeah, not a bad plan. Yeah, I I pretty much just went straight to the full face respirator just because having a little bit of a beard, uh, just the yeah, it doesn't seal right. Doesn't seem to seal as quite as well. So. Uh, get a little more tight on there. So we talked uh, about the the knife making hacks one. Uh, you said the next level knife making one was a little bit before that. I didn't didn't see that until Salem Straub did a post on it. I didn't even know it was written. Yeah, Salem Salem wrote a chapter or two for me. Yeah, I, I intentionally tried to pick people that people would know. So Tracy Mickley, uh, Jantz folks uh, have written Jim Cooper, uh, Brad Stallsmith, the uh, the Peter's Heat Treat guy. Okay. Um, who else? Uh, Nathan but, uh, Crothers was another person that yeah, I recognized. Nathan the Machinist wrote one. Uh, Laren Thomas wrote me a couple of chapters before he wrote his knife engineering book. Okay. Which you should also buy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you haven't bought that one, are you really a knife maker? <laughs> yes. Good. Good. It's legit. You, you better bring your, uh, your A game in terms of reading skills. That's some deep stuff, but, uh, but it's all in there. One of the guys that was on the podcast, Joshua Schwedigan. He was Yeah, Josh wrote a chapter for me. Yeah, he wrote one of the chapters. Um Yeah, so wrote that one and kinda got it out there slow. 
my publisher wanted to do to do pretty much exclusively Amazon. I was able to buy a little over a hundred copies that I sold personally. Um, but it's kind of just stuck there on Amazon. People can go find it, but we have not been able to successfully blow that one up. Well, well, hopefully people start buying it. I know I'm going to get a copy here soon. I like it. I mean, I think it's a good book. There's it, it's, it's different than anything else uh, in the industry because it's, I can make up a lot of stuff, but I don't know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Next level really picks on industry experts. It's like, write me a chapter on the one thing you know the best. Yeah. Uh, and I'll pick somebody else to write the next chapter about the thing they know the best. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's unique in the industry in that regard. Yeah, it's very cool. One of the things I've been wanting to get into is doing some slip joints. So um, mm-hmm. I had messaged Tony Bowes way back when he was still alive, uh, yeah. asking him if I could use one of his Zulu patterns. And he goes, hell yeah. Uh, I, I guess I never put that pattern up on Instagram. And then like two days later, he said, uh, all right, popular to me. And here's the, here's the pattern. Yeah, Everybody yeah. go for it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just amazing. Those, the slip joint guys. Uh, yes. Cause Tony said, I, I can't remember who actually, where I saw it from, but somebody said that, uh, Tony said, I don't make knives. I just revive our knives. He like, he said mm-hmm. he didn't, a lot of those weren't his, his patterns, just they were ones he right. found and Classics. brought yeah. back. So, and, uh, he's, he was, he was willing to share, which was, was cool. I, uh, you know, obviously I'm willing to share. I wouldn't be writing. Uh, I think I said one of them is something about, I don't know anything I didn't learn from somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> no need to be stingy with it. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, if, and Bob Lo- if Bob Loveless used to let people come in and make tracings of his patterns, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's really not all the design anyway. <laughs> it's really an execution. Uh, yeah. Well, but then so kind of on the heels of that your waiting book, list, you can do things like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. But kind of on the heels of that first book, uh, I ended up making a deal with uh, Caribou Publishing, the Blade, the Blade magazine. People. Okay. So I've got. Uh, Got the resources of, of Blade Enterprise behind behind the Hacks book, so we we've done really well. We've sold uh, more than they expected. I've, I've personally sold a little over three hundred of them, just hustling. I've heard they've got some connections in the industry. Yeah, they might be a little connected. Yeah, uh, they know a few people. <laughs> so, but that 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 book's available uh, for me on my website, brockcustomnives.com, or through gundigest.com. They're their blade blade magazine store it's the best place to get that one yeah one of the books that hasn't come yet is uh uh steve shackelford wrote the mm-hmm. greatest living knife makers book yeah. my mother-in-law told me she ordered that one but it hasn't with all the shipping delays and stuff mm-hmm. hasn't uh, came in yet so i'm super excited about i've got a copy but i hadn't had a chance to spend enough time with it yet I loaned it to my brother and he was slow to return it <laughs> <laughs> i've been trying to educate myself with a lot of the the older people that I just don't know that uh, like I, I was always into knives, but uh, it was basically, basically all the production stuff. So it wasn't until I was that 2012 when I went to blade show that I even like really knew about custom knives and met Dan mm-hmm. and Andy Roy and a bunch of those guys. And I'm like, it's been a downhill man. slide ever since. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sucked you in. Yeah. <clears throat> An obsession is uh, a light word. Right, right. A little bit of a, a change in uh, direction, but um, I'm, I'm curious about the uh, the National Knife Makers Guild. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I've been a member of the guild since, uh, 2013, but it's been around since I think 1972, just had our 50th year. Uh, that doesn't add up right. So it's before that we just had our 50th year. <laughs> um, math, math. Yeah. Yeah. I went into humanities. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been around a long time. Um, everybody that was anybody has been in the guild uh, for, for years and years and years. Um, so Bob Wierenski, uh, Buster Wierenski, Bob Loveless, uh, Gil Hibben, all, you know, if they're a famous knife maker, they've been in the guild. Um, especially if they're a famous knife maker older than 20 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> about 2002, three, four, um, uh, the guild started uh, causing itself some trouble a little bit. Um, had some arguments. Things didn't go well. Uh, lost some members. And then uh, there was this thing called uh, the Internet. Heard of that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fad. It's a fad, yeah. So the guild was the thing uh, because the guild show was the show when there was no other way to get a custom knife. Um, you know, you could go to to consignment ag russell or something and get get on their their list that they sent out but you know you think about 1975 or 1985 or even 1995 um there was no other way to get a custom knife than to go to a knife show and the guild show was the top of the line a blade had not really taken off yet Uh, i'd say those were the years if you were anybody you were there um but now you know I'll skip some of the intermediate stuff, but now the reality is, you know, we can sell knives in our underwear on Instagram or something. I don't need to, I don't need to pay to go to Atlanta or, or, or anywhere. Uh, now it's about seeing and being seen. Don't get me wrong. There's value in that, but it's not always about selling knives. I can sell knives in the house. Uh, and, and so the guild kind of became not about the show, but the show was its best thing. Okay. See the tension there. Right. Um, so how did I get involved? So when I, when I came in in 2013, Gil Hibben was the president. I thought it was the coolest thing ever that I got Gil Hibben's autograph on my, on my certificate. I was like, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> it uh, is. Rambo guy. It is. It is. Um, <laughs> um, but they kind of, the show kind of, you know, as, as a lot of shows have, has kind of declined. And so in 2015, they made a deal with ABS and uh, started a show called the International Custom Cutlery Expo that was kind of a joint show between the two organizations. That ran uh, ran in Kansas. Yeah. yeah, Kansas City a couple or three years. Then they moved it to uh, Fort Worth uh, under different management, but the same basic idea, uh, the two organizations combined. But then last year was the last year that that was run independently. Blade uh, Blade Show organization bought uh, the ICCE show. So it'll be Blade Show Texas coming in March. So all that to say the Guild Show kind of evolved to the point where the Guild doesn't have a Guild Show, right? So so who are we and what do we do if we're not the thing that we were the best at? <laughs> uh, and that's the point we're at. I mean, that's the point where... Um, you know, got to figure out what you're going to be best at next. Well, yeah, I mean, we gotta we gotta figure out what we want to be when we grow up, kind of. 
Um, cause we were dang good. <laughs> we were the best. Uh, and now we're not. Uh, and so some of it is, is a pivot to whatever our new identity is going to be. We're not there yet, but I, uh, I have spent some time and effort into, you know, like I said, I mentioned, I'm writing for, uh, for knife magazine, a column every other month about the guild. And, you know, I'm trying to clean up the messaging and trying to, to lay the foundation for, for some stuff. Um, so here, here's my metaphors that I used in there. So kind of the guild is like a, a church. It's like a church of the knife, right? We we honor like the sacred principles, like your knife should be clean and tight. Right? And we respect the saints, like, you know, I mentioned Bob and Buster, you know. It's kind of a group that passes on the traditions and honors the great ones. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that. It's also kind of like a professional certification board. Like we know what an RN is, right? It's a registered nurse. Um, there is no registered knife maker except us. <laughs> um, the voting members of the guild will have passed three different quality inspections prior to being certified. And that tells a potential customer that uh, this person is legit. This person has been through a process. They've been vetted for excellence. High quality is expected. Uh, and the guild also has a complaint, a grievance process. So. If you want to be a professional knife maker and do dumb stuff, uh, you've got the guild uh, on the customer's behalf uh, able to enforce against knife makers that do dumb stuff, kind of like a professional certification. The other thing we do, we're kind of like a fraternity, kind of like Kiwanis or or not quite secret society masons, but you know we we enjoy the fellowship that comes from being together. Uh, you know we. We do business together. We, you know, I, and I've already mentioned a lot of the guys in the books are the guild guys because those guys are my friends. Um, you know, I do what I can do for, for the guild guys and they do what they can do for me. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of like Rotary or Kiwanis like that. Um, and then we do have an educational component to, uh, you know, guilds in history were, were trade organizations, right? Um, they were like the secret society of basket weaving guys or something you know um and you still have some of the guild language of uh of master and journeyman and apprentice uh among plumbers and electricians uh you know crafts technical skills you know the abs uses those terms uh but those are those are the historical guild terms i mean we we are set out to to teach and encourage uh each other and push each other towards higher skill levels. So each one of those little metaphors kind of captures a little bit of it. Um, you know, that's our history. That's what we want to be. Now, how that's going to pan out into to the future, uh, we will see. I've been on the board. Uh, this is my, I haven't served my first full term yet. I was kind of one of the, yeah, but what about kind of guys in the group, right? Uh, which makes you really popular with like 25% of the people. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, over time I developed some, some ideas and some ways to help and they put me on the board and now I'm kind of running messaging, which is part of why I'm here talking with you. So, cause we aspire to be as good as we could, not as good as we are. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, knife makers are usually so open-minded to change. I, I I'm really oh, surprised yeah, totally. you had any difficulty. Yeah, we're all just like, yeah, sure, mess with my stuff. It's cool. Tell me my way in any good. Well, I love that. <laughs> What's tradition? That we got no tradition. <laughs> no, um, that's you know, 
I'll say we we mismanage some of those questions <laughs> uh, in history. So what's a handmade knife? Well, golly, let's have a fight about it. It was a bad idea. <laughs> you know? Man, um, it, it was but, really interesting to see as CNC technology was getting cheap mm-hmm. and some of the guides were coming out to hear stock removal guys start freehand stock removal guys using the same arguments. Trash about yeah. yeah. Well, and it, they're using the same arguments that the ABS guys used to use against the stock removal guys. Yeah. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, you don't make a lot of friends by arguing. Let's put it that way. That's not the way to grow an organization is to be the best arguers. Yeah. <laughs> To be right all the time, sell that perspective that you're the most right person you know. Bull crap! Nobody buys that. <laughs> as, as technology so. gets better and better, it's going to be a very interesting. You know what is a maker? Because yeah. between three D printing so, and CNC, like it's going to very rapidly become a maker may not use their hands. Yeah, and so couple of perspectives on that i mean we're we're committed to to handmade knives well, what does that mean right that's been a challenge that means 73.2 percent of the work was done by hand right no it, it means that the uh the maker personally <laughs> grinds the blade that's the and and applies the final polish that's the, that's the, the handmade standard right now um and i don't know if it'll change because mm-hmm. you know what's what's funny is that people want to say, well, that's not a knife if it's, if it's stock removal. It's got to be forged. Or it's not a knife if it's made on a computer. It's got to be ground by hand. You know, it's not a knife if you use a mill, you know, whatever. Something to argue. Um, each one of those things is a skill set in its own. I mean, there is no world in which you buy a, a CNC machine and push a button and knives pop out. <laughs> I mean, uh, it'd be it nice if huge- there was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it is a huge learning curve, and uh, those lessons are expensive. Um, you know, so if you get to the point like Princeton Wong, for example, where you can you can put out top level stuff that's mostly CNC, that's because he spent a crap ton of time doing CNC as his day job before he started making knives. Uh, there is no less skill in that done well. That's my take. That will be in Blade Magazine one of these days. I'm on tap for that article. <laughs> but but uh, that's that's my take on it. You know, the Guild has not really wrestled with that in a while. I put out kind of a position in the magazine that was similar to what I just said. You know, so we could argue about stuff, but golly, it's all pretty high skill to me. Yep. You spend um, enough time in that minefield, there's no reason to go back. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Uh, so were so you remember back when we blew ourselves up? Let's try that again. <laughs> uh, were you in the, the Texas Guild before the, the National Guild? Yeah, so they're very different. Um, like I said, the National Group is kind of a, a professional organization, you know, more than anything. They've got a long history. The Texas Group, uh, in 2015, there had been a couple of previous iterations of Texas knife-making groups. Uh, there was not one that was current. At the time, they had kind of folded, and a bunch of us kind of got together and said, "Well, what what would we do? What, what kind of thinking we have?" <laughs> you know? And so, uh, ten of us ended up getting elected from our regions, uh, and we we started the, the Texas Knife Makers Guild. I was I was initially the vice president, 
You want to know how you get to be the president of a group like that? <laughs> Don't show up to president. a meeting. You be the vice president and the president quits. That's how. <laughs> so, so I was the vice president just to be a good, nice little helper monkey, you know. And, and then all of a sudden the president was like, I'm out. And I was in charge. Uh, and I've been the president ever since. It's way, presidency is way overrated, by the way. Um, but we are a, we are a registered 501c3. So we're an educational nonprofit. Um, and our, our basic model is, Hey, why don't y'all come over on Saturday and we'll do some knife stuff, right? Texas is freaking humongous. We're like 800 miles east to west and 800 miles north to south. So it's not like, you know, the Rhode Island Knife Club that, yeah, it's all in one county. Um, We're way too spread out to be centrally driven. And so we've kind of pushed the individual deal. It's like, hey, it's Saturday at my house and we'll throw some resources behind it. You want barbecue? Club buys barbecue. Uh, you want to bring in uh, somebody from Arkansas to talk about forging, we'll, we'll pay them a fee, you know? Uh, like, so we, we use the group to support and subsidize educational events. So we, we do hammer ins a couple or three times a year. We have 60 or 70 people at our hammer ins. So that's our, that's so our basic thing. So y'all had to decentralize a lot versus very much like the Georgia and the much. South Carolina guild. It's it's four meetings a year, uh, right? And y'all have just y'all have broken that down, so it's almost regionally. Kind of, we've got it broken up into regions, and we had intended at one point to kind of push that within the regions, uh, but even the regions are a little uneven. We've got a, a bunch of folks in Austin, I mean, not Austin, a bunch of folks in the Dallas area, a bunch of folks, honestly, in Abilene. Uh, you know, kind of that I twenty corridor. Not anything going much south of San Antonio. Not too many guys in Houston. Uh, you know, Lubbock, there's there's 10 of us probably that make knives in town. I know most of them, but how are you going to have a hammer in with 10 guys? Yeah. We have, by the way, but it's not the same. <laughs> you know, you can't draw. And you all um, know each other. So we, we do. And so you've kind of, we've kind of, as it's evolved, we've kind of do a couple or three big events a year, kind of central. We do one down in Bastrop. got got a one in Abilene, one uh, in the country south of Baird, kind of in between Dallas and Abilene. Uh, again, just kind of centrally located, try to get as many folks as we can. Like I, said, I think our record's about 85 uh, on on the Baird one. We had 125 at one of the, the uh, Abilene ones. That's enough. I mean, that's, we're pulling a good, good that's impressive. Yeah, we've got about 250 paid members right now, about 350 that have come and gone over the years, uh, you know, that have been members before. If someone's interested in joining, I assume there's a website. Yeah. So I'll answer that question for both guilds. Let me start with Texas because that's kind of what we're on. So the Texas group, uh, we have about a five, uh, I think we're at about 4,000 members in our Facebook group. That is our number one source of uh, communication and information. If we have an event, that's where you go. Now, anybody can be a member of a Facebook group. That doesn't make you a member of anything but a social media club, right? Uh, so we have uh, a website where where we run our, our paid memberships. Uh, so TexasKnifeMakersGuild.com. It's revolutionary design right there. Yeah. Just call it what it is. <laughs> that's some Texas solid branding right there. That's what I'm talking about. So TexasKnifeMakersGuild.com slash join is the join link. We have uh, two... Well, three kind of tiers of membership. We've got a y'all come. 
uh, to be a member, you send us some money and you're a member, right? That's kind of anybody is available and welcome. Um, we have a, a knife maker certification, honestly, that we got that idea kind of from George and Carolina, kind of like, well, what if, what if you had some vetted guys, you know, what would they look like? So we, we got a, hey, a lone, tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. We got a Lone Star knife maker certification. So you will have had three knives inspected and meet our quality standards to get that. Uh, and then we've got a, an associate membership for suppliers and stuff that want, want to support us. And what about the National Guild? National Guild is, again, slightly more complex, right? National Guild is designed to be an exclusive club. If you've ever tried to get a professional certification, like an RN or my, my behavior analyst, it, part, part of the, the value of it is that you have jumped through hoops to accomplish this thing, right? Uh, so to join the National Guild, uh, the best way is to find a Guild member at a show. If it if you're at one of the majors like ICCE or uh, or Blade, uh, we will have representatives there that can begin the judging process. It's a multi step process where um, you get your knives looked at to decide if you're good enough to get your knives looked at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real, um, it's kind of a pre screen. Once you've gotten four four guild makers to sign off that you you you're good enough to. to get looked at then you you have a five knife panel uh judging from uh, from the technical committee and you get admitted as a probationary member then you you get you get feedback you know it's not all just about you pass you fail by having i stay you know it's it's really a structured well look at this look at that you know you see this part let me tell you how to fix that um and then you come back and you're expected to have fixed that stuff they pointed out last time. <laughs> um, and so by the time you become a voting member, you've been inspected at least three times uh, for just for quality, honestly. Yeah. Um, Les Adams uh, is our, our point man on that, on that process. He is somewhat active on social media, Facebook a little bit. Uh, he likes to talk on the phone more than he likes email. Yeah, um, I get that. <laughs> but your uh, Matthews brothers there in Georgia are uh, very actively involved as well. So, is that uh, twin twin blades? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Charlie and Harry. Yeah. Charlie's our current secretary treasurer, and Harry's on the technical committee. So, again, yeah. the best the best way is to, to find somebody uh, that that is a guild member and say, "Well, how do I do this thing? I want to be one of the big boys when I grow up." You know, or girls. We got some. If you want to be one, ask one. Well, that's the Masons. Yeah, but <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Uh, we would be glad to I, I didn't talk think to we were allowed. It. I didn't think we were allowed to speak about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm not one. I, and if I was, I couldn't tell you. But I do, I do have a good friend that's in there. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway. Uh, so what are some, uh, what are some things you've, you all are working on to grow the, the Texas Guild? The Texas Guild... <laughs> The Texas Guild is all about the strength of our events. Um, honestly, you know, we're trying to consistently produce good hammer ends. Um, so we'll pull in guild members, we'll pull in journeymen and masters, we'll pull in uh, the best resource people that we can. We'll pull in good vendors, uh, you know, Jantz or Terry Dunn, Pops doesn't travel that far, but you know, we, uh, Texas Farrier Supply, uh, 
you know, so we, we try to put on good events because that's really what the Texas group is about. It's mm-hmm. like, here, let me show you, right. You can learn more in two seconds with the right guy than you can learn from my book. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's what, what the Texas group is about. It's just bringing folks together uh, to quality events. And so that's, that's what we're focusing on. Uh, national, you know, we're trying to clean up our messaging, trying to say, this is what we are. This is what we aspire to be. We are not, uh, all the old men that used to fight, <laughs> you know, we're, uh, we're going somewhere. We're bringing some value to the table, whether regardless of your perspective, whether it's, you know, the, the religion of the knife, whether it's the, the social club or, you know, each one of those perspectives has some value that it brings to the members. So right now we're trying to clarify that we've, uh, recently redone our website so that it's, uh, not like 2012. Awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so again that that's that's where we're at right now we're trying to, to clean up our message clean up our image be a little more friendly just a little more welcoming going around doing doing podcasts and things <laughs> anybody you want to give uh give a shout out to give some love to oh yeah i mean i've i've uh i'll say i've dropped a lot of names already uh, you know I, I would not be where i am without uh without the influence of, of, of Lynn or Jerry or John. Uh, not that we're all great buddies. I mean, I didn't talk to them and they'll answer the phone when I call, but having people to look up to has been an important part of my deal. Um, I would say uh, Todd Begg. I haven't mentioned him yet. Um, Todd is the current president of the National Guild. Those of y'all that have followed him over the years know that he's, he's top quality. Is as good as they come on the uh, knife making side. He's also done a little bit of production stuff, had a TV show for a while, done a lot of mid tech, a lot of production. He's also been in the military, so he knows how to take and give orders, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, under his leadership, we're trying to uh, trying to be what we aspire to be. Put it that way. So I'll give a shout out to Todd for the good job he's doing and getting us move along there. So, Kyle, if uh, somebody wants to know more about Jason Fry, how could they do that? Uh, well, I think or, uh, you mentioned your website, uh, Fry Custom Knives. Uh, believe you, I saw you were on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Yep, Fry Custom Knives on Instagram, pretty pretty easy to find. Yep, and Fry Custom Knives on YouTube as well. <laughs> so, and I'm just myself on Facebook. I uh, Facebook is a little more about. Uh, Texas independence and libertarian politics. No, not really. Um, Facebook is pictures of my kids. And stuff like that. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Any other uh, things you want to want to talk about before we wrap the show up? No, I sure appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. So we've kind of wandered around and covered all kinds of territory, but yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's been a good experience. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I don't know why we make notes. We never follow them. <laughs> that's how it works man that's how it works we got we got at least an outline i'm drawing a knife and making that it doesn't work either I mean, <laughs> yeah. you just kind of got to go with the flow sometimes <laughs> oh it went, the grind went way too high sometimes the steel wants sometimes to be something other than what i drew sometimes it does sometimes it does <laughs> uh, i always loved i believe it was jerry fist that said it was inside every 12 inch buoy there's a three inch paring knife yes yeah, i believe that is <laughs> Fisk is good with those one-liners. The pointy end goes away from it. It's all on the shop wall and it's his shop. It's pretty- yeah. Cool. 
Uh, well, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. You can keep in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Knife Perspective. You can find the podcast pretty much anywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. You can keep in touch with Dan Eastland at Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Doggies Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, give him some love at Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com on for his email. Uh, keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives, cagedailyknives.com, Cage Daily Knives on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, and then K- Kyle at cagedailyknives.com for email. Yeah, make sure you uh, let our let our uh, sponsors know uh, that you appreciate all of us, uh, all the work that they're doing for us, and give them some love. You can also help support the podcast some too if you want to get some stickers. We got those on the website, and you can also make a donation to the podcast if you'd like. Also, uh, so yeah. Well, Jason, it was great getting to know more about you, and look forward to uh, seeing where you guys take the Knife Makers Guild uh, for Texas and the the National Knife Makers Guild. Thank you, Kyle and Dan. I sure appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely, All hope right. to see you at Blade. Oh yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll have, have to take another take another run at the Journeyman Smith thing. I uh, I passed the performance test, did not pass the uh, the knife exam. Got surprised by a few little things. Hmm? Learned how to fix them, so I got to come back and do it again. So, gotcha. It's kind of fun being on the representing all those things at once. <laughs> Writing for two magazines. One of the magazines published my book. The other book is there as well. I'm on the Guild board, but I'm doing Journeyman Smith. Yeah, I'm just, it's just what I want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never but too old to good. learn it's all good. No, yep. that's right that's right never too old to try another thing either yeah so. yeah, it, yeah it's uh definitely affects a lot of us that are constantly wanting to keep learning and trying different things so yep yep well very well, good all right good all right thanks everybody we'll talk to you later thank you well let's take it to the edge because that's what's expected in this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point.